This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run and I'm Philip C. On today's Property Show, we are in conversation with Hamdan Majid, Managing Director of Think City, as we discuss their Right to City program as they begin to identify quality of life challenges at public housing, what possible solutions are being developed. A very good morning to you, Hamdan. Now, Right to City envisions a thriving public housing community where lives and livelihoods are resilient, sustainable and empowered. So Hamdan, tell us about Think City's Right to City program. The City program is a collaborative platform where experts, practitioners work to improve public housing livability and strengthen the resilience of vulnerable communities through effective policy recommendation or implementation. We build partnerships, develop research and livability assessments and advocate for a systemic change in how public housing, particularly in Malaysia, is developed and managed in the long term. The R2C program is a, a, is, is a program that we have spearheaded together with City Foundation mm. and we will be having our first ever public housing livability conference that will take place on June 16, 2022. And you know, we would like to welcome uh, the listeners to join this conference. You can come to the website www.thinkcity.com.my slash R2C. And rights to the city sounds like a very interesting concept because from what I've read and understood, right, it's the right of all inhabitants, you know, present and future, permanent and temporary to use, you know, occupy and produce a just and inclusive and sustainable city. You know, the goals seem very lofty. Why has it come to the fore now? Why are people talking about this whole concept of it's so important to remind us about the rights to the city? I think first and foremost, maybe I'd like to recap and highlight to the listeners and to the broader audience that Malaysia as a country uh, is one of those role models on a, from a global standpoint in terms of successfully, I would call, being able to house the nation. Uh, you know, if you look at the data standpoint, you know, uh, we have man- we have seen urban transition uh, that has been very rapid and very significant. In 50 years, we have seen urbanization move from 25%, where we had 25 in the 1970s to today, in excess of 75%. Uh, and this three times. And this rate of urbanization is uh, the significant shift that we are seeing in many parts of the world has resulted in the emergence of slums and uh, short-term housing and, and even to the extent where you, you see people people living in streets and so on. In the case of Malaysia, I think uh, through effective policy making, and this started way back when Malaysia had its first, what do you call, uh, development plans. So it's not coincidental, but it was a kind of planned outcome where we uh, we have seen the effort by the government to house the nation. And over the course of the years, obviously there's been ups and downs. And I'm, you know, it's not a kind of that we had the right solution make. And there's plenty of learning and uh, maybe even things done right, things done wrong. And there's a lot of, of what I lessons learned along the way. But as a whole, I think we have successfully housed a nation whereby you see city dwellers, uh, particularly those who move from uh, from rural to urban, been able to get now to live in uh, living environments that are safe, comfortable, access to water, good access to power, access to telecommunication, access to high-speed broadband and so on. However, you know, the challenge arises in a sense that as the city evolves and the city, what do you call, develops and so on, these public housing communities, you know, 
in the case of Kuala Lumpur, probably one in four persons or more live in public housing communities in a broad sense, whereby, you know, they are kind of left to the periphery or are not seen or not heard. Mm. Uh, and that's number one. Number two is that the places and dwellings are compromised, right? Or rather that they're not equal to what, what ideally it should be in the sense that, you know, they are restricted, restricted in many ways, restricted from a standpoint of space, restricted standpoint of amenities, restricted access to services, restricted to access to public transport. And as development has come, you found we find that the public housing communities are pushed to the periphery by virtue of land costs, by virtue of uh, what they call uh, expansion of development and so on. Uh, while the role of this community is very significant, in fact, I would call these are the people who make the city work. Sure. The people who actually ensure that everything runs. Mm. This, this is this is your, your fireman, this is your policeman, this is your service service providers, this is your Lalabu drivers, this is your grab car riders and so on. So they, there's a whole spectrum of people who live in public housing. Now, the challenge has been in Malaysia in a sense, while you house the nation, the, there is much room for improvement in terms of trying to move from a house to a home and aspirationally towards having com- what I call livable communities. And I want to build on that, this transition from house to home, as you rightly said, Malaysia went through rapid urbanization and through effective policymaking, we've been able to house people, right? Checkbox, phase one, done. You know, everybody has provided shelter. You've then also mention, look, you know, we need to raise our standards, right, of moving from a house to home. And that we, many communities that are essential are at the periphery, many specific needs are not met. Can you perhaps highlight, what are these key gaps that what you're seeing in order for us to transition from a house to a home and eventually a community? Where are the gaps are you seeing in the city now? I think it starts with in terms of obviously, you know, where the locations of this public housing are being considered. You know, in a sense that if, if public housing is being pushed to the periphery, the cost of transport, cost of travel and the distance that people have to make to their jobs becomes far much more challenging. Hmm. And for those who are on the bottom end of the of the bargain, it becomes a big burden. That's number one, right? Number two is that availability or access to what I call quality space. And I, I, I am mindful of the fact that as you live in urban environment, space is restricted. But how can you have quality spaces in a sense that, you know, uh, we, whether we are able to kind of manage environments where that the, the homes, number one, if possible, they're a bit more larger to cater for family sizes accordingly. You know, some family sizes are more than four, uh, which is the current Malaysian average. Uh, but other, you know, for those family sizes of five, six, you know, do they have access to have more rooms, more bigger size apartments? Or are the designs done effectively such that what do you call that, that with small spaces, you're able to do much with it? And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of development that has happened right. around the world. So can I just push you on this where you say rights really have to be expanded, right? We need to improve the standards and quality. And it's interesting how you frame it as rights to the city because when we talk about rights, it really means that it should be like a no-brainer. It should be the minimum requirements that are setting place. Doesn't, doesn't this just require regulatory pressure and process for us to set these minimum standards in place? Why are we still at the not at this point where we can enforce clear regulatory requirements about putting these standards in place. Like I said earlier, you know, when we were starting the journey, the 
uh, we were a nation that was just emerging and uh, you know poverty was at the, at the highest point and the challenge at that point of time was about putting food on the table and the focus was to ensure that people had shelter and 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 and, and, and we did well by providing people with food shelters you know where they kind of stuff that they are able to live with water electricity and services and so on mm-hmm. but as we move up uh, aspirationally to move up to become a middle income con- uh, country and uh, to move up to aspirationally towards high income i think the needs also are evolving of these communities um, you know what was probably acceptable in 1970 today is not acceptable back we have already seen that you know house sizes have actually are being rethought as we speak you know there's been a big debate about is it 500 square feet 600 square feet or 1000 square feet and one would assume that the pandemic would have changed that whole dynamics yeah. as well yes definitely it's because pandemic has brought to the yeah. fore the challenges of this community who were the worst affected yeah. in fact very little has been said you know in the sense that you know this community has struggled through this last two and a half years through the pandemic and in fact uh, i would call uh, disproportionately affected you know as opposed to those who have a lot of space for those who have a lot of space yeah we work from home or we lived in our homes and so on we had a lot of space move around but when you have 500 square feet with uh, a family of four or five or six it becomes a big challenge you know so you you end up seeing a lot of other kind of problems that arise mental health uh, stress in families uh, hmm. obesity you see a lot of uh, depression uh, uh, and and in fact what was expected in the sense that we that as a nation we were very successful uh, in from 1970 and when it spoke about poverty was to say that we moved up out of the poverty cycle you know where we had significant number of people in poverty uh, you know in excess of 50 60% at, at in 1970 today the number hovers around 5 6% now what has happened is also the fact that uh, we in that in that growth cycle of the 30 40 years we have seen a kind of upward mobility but today people who are in public housing communities are not having the same kind of outcomes what their predecessors had exactly uh, yeah in fact you know yeah they're in a much worse situation in fact you know probably even the likelihood of regressing the chance of success of of a, of a child out of public housing to to move out of poverty is is far much more what they call challenging than his predecessor that means his before his parents and his grandparents today i'm in conversation with hamdan majid managing director of think city on their right to city program we will be back with more after these messages stay with us bfm 89.9 welcome back you're tuned in to the property show on the morning run i'm philip c and with me today is hamdan majid managing director of think city on their right to city program so you talk about the outcomes where clearly if we don't take action that if we keep on remaining stuck in the 1970s there are going to be big social economic outcomes greater disparity bigger challenges in how we improve the quality of living per se is it going to be enough to change policy makers views about moving this forward because clearly someone's stuck in the mud here isn't it in terms of moving this forward and i get the point that this program is to drive the conversation at what point in in the in the interactions you've had is the awareness about this need to move to the next level what is the level of interest and commitment to do so by our policy makers I think number one is that I think to emphasize I think policymakers um the business community I would probably say that the developers are are generally aware and a lot also has evolved you know from the time that this has started but we have not found an optimum solution mix 
by virtue that there's always this contestation and, and conflict and probably even push and pull factors that exist in the marketplace about profits, about what do you call, who should be the ones ideally responsible building this? Should it be the government taking leadership to build all of public housing or you know the policy that exists where a certain uh, when they do a development, a certain portion of development is allocated for public housing? So there's a lot of these things has come in, in, in kind of a, into a broader conversation that exists and much, very little has been kind of resolved. But I think, you know, in the last decade or sorts, I think a, a lot of this conversation on public housing has come and, and has taken center stage, not only in Malaysia, but in fact, housing has become a big issue, not only in Malaysia, but other globally, uh, by virtue that this has become a kind of big issue where the the needs of the, what I call the members of society who are at the bottom of the, uh, of, of the of the ladder given greater amount of voice today. Mm. To the angle where we look at it from the right to the city, where we are saying that, how can you bring these voices? And more importantly, I think the way we are seeing is that if we are building more housing or more so, uh, uh, public housing and so on, it's important that we hear from these communities directly, understand the challenges of their living environment, understand the way they live, the way they organize themselves. You know, we got to understand many of these people have probably moved from an, either a kampung or in a kind of unorganized organized settlement in cities into a house and in most how and when they move into a housing development they end up being put into a box yeah. uh, and that's their space as opposed to the social environment that exists in uh, in, a, in a kind of traditional kampong or in a uh, in the in the environment they were before in so as they move out in those environments they live in these new environments i think very little has come has, has happened in terms of effectively being able to not only deal with the issue of building homes but rather also the dealing with the issue of building community but this is something i want to just get your perspective on you say many of them come from you know unstructured environments come from the kampong come from villages I, I would argue they wouldn't, they don't know what they don't know, isn't it? So sometimes do you feel that we kind of impose what we think are rights to the city when they don't know what is right or wrong, essentially, because they are very comfortable with where they are? No, this is exactly the reason why I said that earlier, that it's about their voices being heard. In the sense that you're hearing from them in terms of how they see their challenges, and you know, as in our our own interactions and and working with these communities over the course of these years, we found that you know many of these people have high level of resilience, a uh, high level of dignity, uh, and a high level of what I call uh, uh, wanting to kind find ways to succeed. Uh, while there are huge barriers against them, but the effort that I see in in what they're trying to do. In fact, one instance is that I remember in a conversation that we were helping in a program to kind of improve the livelihoods of uh, some of these communities using the digital marketplace and there were training programs that were held out and the the lady who came to the program said look I you know my income level has gone up and in fact I look forward to paying my zakat meaning that I want I, I know I'm not one to be a recipient of zakat but I want to pay zakat so it's that push even though they have very little in fact one of the things we find very these people have I call contentment uh, they're, they're cheerful they're, they're welcoming uh, amidst the challenges they live in through and the kind of complex environment they are in in fact you know some places some of the places are not even safe you know where instances we have seen people write uh, uh, take up their bikes to the next to their units because they say that if they leave their bikes downstairs that they may be vandalized or stolen or disappears and uh, and if he was if that person was a what do you, lala move person or whatsoever then his source of income is totally lost because you know his vehicle is gone even in those kind of environments people kind of also found ways to uh, deal with the fact that uh, that they can find uh, a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, community, and so on. But what sometimes is missing is the pervasiveness. Yeah, 
you know, we find pockets of excellence and some of it, which we have been trying to work with them in terms of building uh, community gardens, uh, organizing them among themselves to kind of uh, use their existing space to kind of for recreation. You know, we have a, a program around what you call uh, K2K walk, even a walking group, a simple thing like walking, walking group among themselves to create so that so you reduce the social tensions in these communities. You create familiarity so that there's a higher level of trust, comfort to be living together uh, because you would need to build communities is it? As, unless and if you successfully build these communities as you you know then these places are likely to become much better managed as you go into these places you can see that they generally are kind of uh, in, in not in the best of conditions you probably you can see urban decay you probably can see that they're not even to some extent you know uh, physically not in good conditions uh, they may not even be in uh, what they call from a health standpoint not in the best of conditions you know, yeah, so a lot of these issues exist but what I, I just want to emphasize is to say that there are a need for these interventions and the need for interventions not only needs to come from a top down, but it also is about bottom up. While the top down, I think that people who are responsible for this will have to do what they need to do and they and they will do. Uh, and I believe so in the sense that, you know, we see that a lot of money gets spent in public. But what we think more importantly needs to be seen is that the resources that's being put can it be spent in a more optimal manner in partnership with the community? Yeah. yeah, I think it's a very interesting point because we are really short in resources. So the community bottom-up has to tell policymakers, developers what really is top priority and really needs to be fixed. And every locality and community is very different, isn't it? They will have different needs altogether. Yes, and I think this is the whole process of participatory, what I call budgeting and execution, uh, creating ownership within the community to kind of bring change, uh, own the space, finding ways to what you call, uh, in the sense that that you build resilience in this community to be able to deal with the issues within them, among themselves in a more effective manner, mm. uh, as opposed to, you know, making them just to become a cog in the middle of a, a fragmented voice. So that we are finding ways to see how to organize, uh, how to create a platform, how to build more resilience, how to get people to be able to know that they are able to, you know, access much of the services the government has. They can access to, you know, there's a lot of grants, there's a lot of training, there's a lot of capacity building. They can actually advocate their needs in a more systematic manner, you know, by organizing their voices. So this is also a lot of things that sometimes uh, we, we intuitively we think it should happen, but sometimes what is very basic is sometimes very complicated. Yeah. In fragmented communities, you know, communities that are kind of broken down and communities that are probably stressed and challenged because they just need to put food on the table. Yeah, we live in our bubble we think that everything is hunky-dory, but when you just go and stray a bit further out, you see the challenges take place and they're very unique to each one. So I wonder in the amount of engagements you've had, are there have there been successful models in Malaysia or even beyond Malaysia about how the rights of city have been trans have translated into really tangible actions that really deliver real positive impact on the ground? I think in terms of success stories, there are plenty of success stories, but success at the very what I call very micro level, where we are able, like I highlighted earlier, you know, there are community gardens around the country that we have seen the emergence before. in fact we start we started working some of this with people like uh, PPR Kota Mansara and also in other places but I don't think what we are not seeing is the kind of people uh, the, what I would call aggregating the success stories and also creating a platform on which where the success stories can be kind of presented and validated uh, so that the lessons from this can then be harnessed and, and taken up uh, kind of into policy and so on so that's part of the process that we are using the R2C program is focused is also to see how 
some of the things that, that the micro solution making can be adopted. Uh, eventually, hopefully, we call many small things eventually will, re- will result in a, in, in a big change. You know, the power of small, uh, where we see and we believe that this will bring about significant impact by virtue that, you know, these small voices eventually can be the avalanche of change. And in public housing communities, there's much, a lot. See, we have, like I said earlier, that the focus needs to can be, while we, a lot of emphasis today exists on building new, I think there needs to be a bit more balanced focus towards managing what has been built and how to manage so that it is more inclusive, participatory, and also in ways where you can actually ensure that that you build a sense of community and own ownership within those people and so on. It's not easy, but I personally believe that when you call, uh, which coordinated, consistent effort, the results will come about. I mean, that's the problem. Managing new is easier than managing within. It is easier to just build on top and do greenfield rather than make the current brownfield environments work, isn't it? That is the perennial problem we have in Malaysia we tend to not want to work within the current existing physical infrastructure we have to optimize because it's hard. It's super hard. All right. I understand that some of this old may need to be kind of brought down. In fact, I would even if they're brought down, I believe that you want to redevelop them on site and have those communities in those places and so on, a better built environment. But there are many that has been built can be kind of uh, restructured, repurposed and so on, or enhanced. In fact, while they live in restricted, like I said earlier, in restricted environments, there can be a lot of effort can be put in to improve quality of space by simple things, by creating good public parks, by giving access to what you call uh, better amenities in and around those public housing communities, improving access to public public transport, uh, enhancing uh, and building what I would call uh, educational infrastructure. Even though there are many that exist, in fact, we do see in many parts where schools are co-located with public housing, but there's also room to see how you can actually improve and enhance this. So and, and the way we see it is that the public housing needs to go in tandem with quality public spaces, access to public transport, and also what you call, they need to also be kind of uh, have great access to, you know, uh, public amenities like Mm. schools, hospitals, and other services. So that, you know, things that are not immediately available in their residences or homes, they can access it by in the shared facilities. So with your program, this Rights to City program, R2C program, what's success for you? How do you measure progress? Success for us is basically, first and foremost, is about whether the, these voices can be heard, uh, number one. And number two is that whether that we are able to kind of bring a broader awareness to not only to these communities and to the decision makers, but rather to the broader public, you know, because these public housing communities is in and around us. Uh, have we gone to visit them? Have we met anyone from the public housing community? Have we made friends with them? Have we gone to ensure that, to see what in what ways that we can extend the help? You know, I think there's a broader role that we hope that we can encourage everyone one, every one of us in the, in the country can play a role because it's, I don't think we should limit everything to the, I would call government, 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 but rather there's much. And I, and I believe there's also been great amount of effort that has come from the what they call civil society groups, mm. but it needs to go beyond to every, every, every Malaysian because I think we all can. And in fact, if we make an effort to even kind of build friendships with these people and communities as opposed to kind of setting them aside or, or, or not looking at them or even not even knowing of them, uh, I think we will build a better society as a whole. 
Bull. That's all the time we have for today's Property Show. Thank you for being on the show, Hamdan. I've been speaking to Hamdan Majid, Managing Director of Think City, on their Right to City program. And you can check out their website, www.thinkcity.com.my, for more details, as well as their Right to City R2C conference, which is being held on the 16th of June. I'm Philip C, signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.